Hi, this is Stephanie, the host of the Empower Your Life podcast. And on this episode, we are talking with Dr. Jay Sheree Chasmawala. She is an integrative holistic medical doctor, and she really goes into talking about the gut health and what feeds the good bacteria and what are some foods that will suppress that good bacteria, as well as how our gut really hosts the majority of our immune system. And when our gut gets out of balance, how that creates all sorts of issues in our body from colds, flus, to, to diseases, to sickness, to all sorts of things. So check out this, uh, this next uh, podcast. And when you get to the end, make sure you stay for our special offer. We have a section where you can actually um, ask us a question. So if you're interested in learning more about nutrition and, and how um, that can really help your body, then make sure you click on that link and, and ask questions. And we'll definitely come back with some, um, some great information for you. So let's get started. This is the Empower Your Life podcast, where you can find some of the best health and life tips to keep you active and living life without having to go through surgeries, procedures, and medications. We want to give you hope that it is possible as the body has an amazing ability to heal if we give it the right environment. Stay tuned to the end of this podcast to hear a very special offer. Without a further ado, let's get started. Perfect. So we're going to get started. Um, most people know me. I'm Stephanie with Empower Physical Therapy. And before I introduce um, Dr. Chasmuala, I'll just kind of share my story because it kind of ties into kind of how we met because we've known each other for, I don't know, 12, 13 years. I don't know. I, I don't even know. It's been a long time. <laughs> but um, I came on this journey um, and the um, this like this health journey when I was in my late 20s, I um, was someone that was super active and I was a competitive gymnast. I um, went on to um, play soccer and I had to actually choose between soccer and gymnastics when to play on college soccer, semi-professional soccer, marathon training. Um, and literally by the end of my 20s, I my body was like wiped out. It was exhausted. Um, I looked fit on the outside. Everyone looked at me saying like, gosh, you're the healthiest person we know. But on the inside, it was a completely different story. I had allergies really bad. I was getting sick all the time. I literally would come home from work and I would um, basically have to take a nap before going out to dinner with my friends because I was like exhausted. Um, and in about a year and a half period of time, I had bronchitis and then I had pneumonia and then I had cancer. And my cancer was basically a virus. It was a virus that just kept on attacking me. And I went to the doctors and they basically were cutting pieces out of me and all my borders and everything were clear. And they're like, you're good. It, you should be good to go. But then every time I kept on getting tested, it, it, this virus wasn't going away. And they said, this is really rare and it's really random. Um, and I had two surgeries. They wanted to do a third surgery. And then essentially I was like, well, what else can I do? Cause I don't want to have a third surgery. And they're like, there's nothing you're young. It will eventually go away. And I'm like, well, isn't there like anything I can eat? Is there anything I can change to like help with this? I'm like, no, nothing. And so at that point I was like, well, I'm done. I'm going to start doing my own research and I'm going to start figure this, this out. And it's really the first phase of, of, of me, like, having to take my health into my own hands. And really, um, I see it with my patients all the time because they go to doctors and it's like, they don't really get answers. And I, I didn't either. And I was frustrated, which is how it kind of has shaped my PT practice, because now I'm able to bring a lot of this education to my patients, but it's also shaped my practice in the sense of just empowering people with information, education, things that's based off of science and research that we say we are doing it in our healthcare system, but we really aren't um, at all. So um, essentially one of my friends who was a nutritionist, she um, worked with some of the top plant-based doctors. She introduced me to this product um, called Juice Plus. And it was really my first, it was a catalyst for me to make other changes. It was, it was a catalyst for me to meet other people that were like-minded and to just continue my learning. But this product basically is just fruits and vegetables in a capsule. Um, it was something I started with because I was completely wiped out, exhausted. I didn't know like 
I couldn't really, I didn't have the, nothing didn't have the ability to go and change my whole complete diet. I was just too exhausted and overwhelmed to be even start at a, at a place like that. So I started this and four months later, it was the first time in two and a half years that everything was normal. I was like, what the heck? This is just fruits and vegetables. So I started doing a lot of research. And as I did my research, I um, just started learning more and I started getting more pissed off because I'm like, why? Why is there no one else out there giving people education about what we can do to our bodies, about what we can put into our bodies, about how we can take control of our health um, long term? So um, I started figure, trying to figure out how can I take this upon myself to start integrating this into my PT practice. Um, and then just along the way, finding different people um, that wanted to kind of come along on the journey because we were all like-minded. And so that's where I met Dr. Chazmawala. I literally went into her office for marketing for my PT practice a long time ago. And she was at the front desk. I'm like, what doctors at the front desk, first of all. And we just started talking and we hit it off because she really was all about, you know, same kind of message, empowering patients, giving people education, how uh, enough education to help them make a decision about like the direction they wanted to go to with their health and just being there as a resource for people. And so that's, that's how we met. Um, And we've done a lot of events together, just not a lot since the COVID. (laughs) And so, yeah, I, this talk that she's does, she's done a talk similar um, to this. And it's so important because it's not, it's not being talked about at all. And mainstream media. It's not being talked about at all with in doctor's offices. It's not being talked about really at all, like what we can do to um, help our immune system to improve it. Um, so that, you know, if we do catch anything, it's just a blip on the radar. It's not something that's major. And I can tell you when I would get sick in my twenties, I would be out for like a week. I get sick now. It's like, am I sick or am I just kind of congested or I'm not really sure it's, I rarely get anything. And a lot of it's just because of some of the things that we're doing, um, that I'm doing to help, um, keep myself, myself healthy and, and safe. So go for it. Well, I'm a uh, Dr. Jayshree Chasmalala. I'm a retired family practice physician and current lifestyle medicine coach and consultant. Um, and like Stephanie said, we met 12 years ago now, I think, or even 13 somewhere. It was a while back. Um, but my health journey began several years before that. Um, when we were young, when I was younger, I moved around a lot. I was born in Boston and I've lived pretty much all up along the East coast, um, South. But when we moved to Texas, I experienced like I was a healthy child. I experienced my first illness. And if you want to guess it, I am sure you can guess what I, what I experienced when I moved to Texas. I had allergies in the spring. I'm talking really bad allergies. Like the first spring we, I, was, I lived in Texas, I had bronchitis. And I think that was the first time in my childhood that I needed to have antibiotics. And then that happened every spring. And when I moved to Austin for undergrad, it got even worse. I didn't even think it could get worse. But I mean, like I was coughing all night. I would, you know, like from I think February until May, I was sick the entire, like I would miss most of my spring classes. At that time, the MCAT was offered in the spring and I had a fever of 104 when I took the MCAT because that's the medical um, school admissions test because I was in that bronchitis phase of my allergies. I'd gone to see an allergy specialist and nothing, like they tested me and I I, um, tested so strongly against the testing doses, like I reacted that they had to dilute the testing doses. And I was like, okay. And then at the end of all that, he's like, take a leg, you know, here's some Claritin, take some Claritin. And I was like, well, that didn't help. So um, campus, UT campus has a medical library. So I went there and I was like researching what I could do for allergies. And I found this obscure text, like natural medicine or something like that. And it said, what we eat can affect how we have allergies. And that dairy specifically can contribute to inflammation, creating mucus. And I was like, really? So I was raised vegetarian, but we ate, you know, cheese, milk, things like that. So I was like, okay. So I gave up dairy, became vegan, never had allergies since then. So when I went to medical school, 
So that's, that's like what, 26 years ago or something like that. So when I went to medical school, I was so excited to learn more about nutrition and how it can affect our health. Nothing. We got two hours of nutrition in the entire four years of medical school. And it was all about how to tube feed a comatose patient and like a rare scurvy or vitamin deficiency that we really don't see anymore in, in this day and age. So I was like, well, that didn't help. After residency, I decided to do my own research and start studying up on how nutrition helps um, your, you know, your how it affects your health. And I started up my own practice. And that's when I met Stephanie. I'll talk a little bit more about what happened when I had my own practice in a little bit, but I'll go ahead and get started with my talk. Okay. So we're gonna be talking about boosting your immune system. Now, um, you know, we're, we are tying that into nutrition. And I just wanna start off saying that everything that I'm giving here is not um, medical advice, legal medical advice. It's just for information education. Um, and we're gonna be talking about tips and tricks to keep, create healthy habits. I'm not gonna be specifically addressing any diseases or treatment per se. So we're talking about how to boost your immune system. I'm gonna give a little bit of a history of what's going on in the healthcare today in the US. Um, we'll talk about what is lifestyle medicine. We'll talk about the human microbiome, the role of antibiotics and how plants can help with that and the role of supplements and how do we create healthy habits. So um, what are the leading, leading causes of death? Does anyone wanna guess? They're probably all muted. <laughs> probably write it into the chat and then Stephanie can read it out to me. Heart disease. Yes, heart disease, good one. Any other guesses? Cancer. Cancer is number two. Um, so the leading causes of death in the US, heart disease, cancer, and of course last year in the last couple of years, COVID-19, um, strokes, Alzheimer's, diabetes, these are some of the top causes of death. And then we also have injury accidents um, and then infectious sources like chronic lower respiratory diseases, influenza, pneumonia, um, kidney disease, things like that. So of all of these, the ones that I have listed in red are considered to be lifestyle related. And I would say that all of these are lifestyle related um, because, and we'll talk about how infections can be lifestyle related as well, but either indirectly or directly, all of these are lifestyle related. So I would say that heart disease is not the number one leading cause of death here in the US. The number one leading cause of death here in the US is how we live, live, our, live our lives. That's lifestyle. 80% um, of all deaths are attributable to these three things, tobacco use, diet, and lack of physical activity. And when we look at the healthcare system today, if we look at what makes us healthy, 50% of what makes us healthy is related to our behaviors, what we eat, how, you know, how much we exercise, how we manage stress. Um, and only 10% is really related to medical care and access to medical care. So like insurance, um, doctors that are available. So you can see that that's just, that's a big discrepancy. And then if we look at how we spend money on being healthy, we spend almost 90% on medical services, which we look at is only 10% of what makes us healthy. And we only spend 4% on um, creating healthy behaviors where that's 50% you know, of what keeps us healthy. So we spend about $3 trillion on healthcare um, alone and 75% of chronic disease is actually preventable. So it's kind of a just, um, a discrepancy there where it just doesn't make sense that we're spending so much money on trying to find cures where it's all it's preventable. So why aren't we focusing more on the prevention? So that's where lifestyle medicine comes in. Lifestyle medicine is the use of evidence-based 
lifestyle therapeutic approaches to treat, reverse, and prevent chronic disease. And it looks at nutrition, uh, specifically whole food, plant-based nutrition, um, consists of having regular exercise, making sure we're getting enough sleep, we're managing our stress, we have healthy relationships in community, we feel connected, and we avoid substance use. So what are the benefits? So what are some reasons why you want to be healthy? You can, again, write that in the chat and then Stephanie can read them out to me. Um, I'll just say for me, one of my big reasons, and Stephanie laughs because I've been saying this for the last 12 years, is to, is to look young, is to feel young and stay looking young. So um, like, I guess vanity is a big thing, you know, I'm in my mid to late forties. And so I, I just, I still want to look like I'm in my thirties. And so I'm going to keep eating healthy and doing all the healthy things because it helps to live longer and to look and feel younger. I often say that I want to die young later in life. So, you know, stay youthful as long as possible. We have quality of life. That's great. Yeah. Quality of life is a great one. And then um, I kind of divided this up a little bit where, um, well, no, I didn't on this slide. I did it elsewhere, but some reasons, you know, we have reasons here that are positive reasons, like to live longer, help great quality of life. But we also have negative reasons, right? Like to not have diabetes, to not be on dialysis, to not be sick. And I always like to look at the positive side of things, although it's also good to know what you don't want. Um, so we wanna make sure that we're not just focusing on what we don't want, but we are also trying to envision and create what we want and work towards that. So this is a quote that I like to throw in here because even though this is cardiovascular disease, this could be replaced with any disease, is not something that naturally happens to us and then we try to you know, cure it with disease, with diet, it happens only with a diet that causes cardiovascular disease. And that's from T. Colin Campbell. So what kind of diet that do we have that causes cardiovascular disease? Well, we have what's called the standard American diet, oops, um, the SAD diet. And um, of the SAD diet, you can see that most of our calories or most of what we eat comes from processed foods, fast foods, oils, fats, refined sugars, refined foods, and very little of it comes from whole foods like vegetables, fruits, whole grains, nuts and seeds, lentils and beans. And then a bigger percentage comes from animal products. So we'll talk about in a second why the SAD diet is actually sad for us. Um, but I just have to intervene with a little joke. Did you know that there are more microscopic bugs living on your body than there are people on earth? And the other guy's like, ooh, gross. And then you look in on our skin and the, the bacteria on our skin are like, did you know that we're standing on living tissue? Eek. So I'm going to really quickly recap a long landmark study that came out around 10 years ago, which got me interested in the whole gut health and the microbiome and how that affects our health. And in it, what they did is they took a group of people that were eating the standard American diet, and they took a group of people that were eating um, whole food, plant-based, vegan type diet. And what they did is they gave steaks to everyone, and then they measured um, a substance called trimethylamine and oxide TMAO. And it's no, this substance is known to cause cardiovascular disease. There's some correlation with cardiovascular disease and even some cancers. So the more we have of this in our body, the worse it is for us. And what they found was that in the vegan group, they did not produce this TMO substance. Whereas in the SAD diet or the people that ate regular diets, um, even though both groups had just eaten steak, that they had TMO, TMAO and the vegans did not have TMAO. And then they were given antibiotics to all the meat eaters. And then they were given steak again. And this time there was no TMAO. So that said, they showed that it's the bacteria in the gut that was creating this harmful substance. And what we found since then is that um, the type of bacteria that people that eat a mostly whole food plant-based diet 
versus those that eat the standard American diet or one that's heavy in animal proteins and animal products have different strains or different actual bacteria that are in their gut normally. Um, so they did the study again, similarly with eggs, and they pretty much found the same thing that when they gave antibiotics, there was no TMAO. And when, you know, they were eating eggs, then that, um, that stopped. And then they also found that if they stopped eating red meat for four weeks, that there was no TMAO um, whatsoever. So what are these bacteria that we have in our body? You know, we have about 50 trillion cells in our body and we have a hundred times more bacteria than we do cells in our body. We actually depend on the bacteria that lives in and on us. It makes up about two to five pounds of our weight. And most of that's found in the lower, the small intestine and the colon. We do have bacteria that lives in our skin. We have bacteria all over our body. And that's normal. We, we need that bacteria. We, we actually depend on that bacteria. That bacteria um, actually takes care of all of the food that we eat. It's what digests our food. Um, and, and so what we eat makes a big difference on our bacteria because they're, they can only eat what we eat. If we eat something that they don't like or they're not meant to consume, it creates a whole um, problem in our system. Like our body, our bacteria, they're not able to process it. So they produce um, different chemicals that can actually be dangerous for us and it can cause diseases, inflammation, things like that. So when we eat foods that are, um, higher acidic like meat and animal products, it changes the pH in our body. And then that's the um, acid base level. And when we eat meat, things like that, then the bacteria, it doesn't like that. And it sees that meat or processed food, not just meat, but processed food can be very acidic as well. Um, it sees that meat as a foreign object and it says, okay, we've got to get rid of that. We've got to take care of that. And so they start to attack it and it creates an environment that they are no longer able to survive in. So then when they can't survive, then the bad bacteria can survive. Or when we do something like take antibiotics, we wipe out all of our bacteria, good or bad. And then we don't have anything to digest our food. The other big thing that the gut microbiome that it does in our body is that it um, is part of our immune system. It's the biggest part of our immune system. It actually pop, I mean, I'm not sure the exact numbers, but I think it makes up anywhere from 80 to 90% of our immune system. That's where we are um, creating the, the systems to fight off any kind of infection, um, things like that. And so when we're eating the wrong foods, the foods that are not meant for our bacteria to eat, it disrupts the bacterial population and the immune system goes into overdrive. So we can actually get, you know, it kicks it into overdrive and we can have autoimmune diseases like allergies, which was what was happening to me, or even asthma or other autoimmune diseases like lupus or other arthritis type um, things. And then of course, infections, right? So we can't, we associate bacteria with infections, but we can see that it leads to all sorts of diseases. And they've actually shown that there's some link between depression and anxiety with our gut health as well. So it's really important that we feed our bacteria what it needs to, what it needs to survive because our survival depends on it. Um, and then the other thing they found is that when we have like, for instance, I get told all the time, like, well, I have diabetes, it runs in my family or cancer runs in my family, so I can't do anything about it. But what we're finding is there's genes and then there's epigenetics, what genes are being expressed. So let's say, you know, diabetes runs in my family and I'm eating the foods that are not good for my bacteria. Well, the bacteria goes through and it turns on all the bad genes and it turns off all the good genes. And so what will be expressed is the things that I'm, I'm more risk for because it runs in my family. Now, you know, it could be diabetes, it could be cancer or certain, there can be diseases that can run in the family, but you don't necessarily need to have them 
because what's really passed on from our family is how we eat um, and how we think about food and our relationship to food really. So we found that these, the bacteria plays a big role in expressing our genes or turning them on or off. And like I said, if we change the bacterial population, we can change our metabolism. They found when they did like bacterial transplants or stool transplants in obese people that they were able to lose weight. So the, the um, bacteria that we have also determines things like our, you know, how we metabolize food. So it de depends, on, it determines whether we're gonna be overweight or not as well. So why not just take an antibiotic to kill the bad bacteria? And this is one thing that I was thinking about a lot too, when um, people, I get questioned all the time, you know, when I see patients that they start having little sniffles and they want to have antibiotics right away. And it's like, well, most of the time it's a virus. And if we take antibiotics, we're actually killing off our immune system. So it puts us at higher risk for other diseases. So, you know, a couple of days of sniffle and cold, I know it's uncomfortable and it doesn't feel good, but it's not um, the worst thing, right? And so even with this coronavirus, we found that there's not really antibiotics that you can take that will help fight it off. As a matter of fact, it can make it worse because you're killing off your immune system. So when we take antibiotics, especially when we don't need them, it creates resistant bacteria. We're killing off our good. Um, it, which allows the bad bacteria to flourish. And so we can get um, super infections like the C. difficile, um, which creates, it's a really bad um, diarrhea, which can lead to you know, blood loss and loss of life. And you have to end up in the hospital and have to be on even stronger antibiotics. And they found that we can get that kind of infection even with the simple um, bacteria like clindamycin, which is usually used for things like acne. So antibiotics do have their place and we do have infections that absolutely need antibiotics. However, we are over prescribing it. And then our food supply is laced with antibiotics. Um, like if you're eating regular cow, you know, cow's meat, um, beef, where they're not free range or anything like that. A lot of them have been pumped with antibiotics because of the conditions that they live in. They get so prone to infections and other things like that. So a lot of times the meat that you eat is also laced with antibiotics. So we're full of bacteria. Are we gonna to have to throw ourselves away? What's the solution? The solution is a plant strong diet nutrition. It can help grow back the bacteria that we want to have um, and creates thousands of different strains. So we're creating this synergy like I said, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, lentils, beans, nuts, and seeds, that's the food that bacteria want to eat. I often joke, because I heard someone else say this, is that we may not be vegan, but the bacteria that's living in our guts, 100% are vegan. So the best thing that we can do to support our good bacteria is to commit to powerful nutrition. We can change and lower the risk of cancer, boost our immune system, prevent autoimmune disorders, um, prevent other chronic conditions. And when we do the opposite, when we eat overly heavy animal protein or even processed foods, it creates the wrong GI flora, the wrong gut bacteria. So here's some good visual of what are the foods that we want to feed our bacteria. These are called prebiotics um, because they feed the bacteria. So they allow them to grow. And the biggest one really is beans. Beans is actually super important in creating good bacteria because beans have the highest amount of fiber of any plant foods. And fiber is what's thought to be really important in feeding our good bacteria. So foods that are high in fiber are gonna be super important. Things to realize is that any animal um, product, whether it's dairy, cheese, um, meat, chicken, even the ones that are fish that are considered healthier do not have any fiber whatsoever. So they're not really going to help improve our gut health. 
So how many servings do we need of fruits and vegetables a day? Usually I see seven to 13 servings is what's needed. And then if you're athletic and you're, you know, especially an elite athlete or you're working out a lot, you might need more than 15. If you have chronic conditions, you might need more than 20 servings. And a serving of vegetable is the size of your fist. Whereas um, a fruit, it's like one apple, one banana, or if you're talking about bigger fruits like watermelon or smaller fruits like berries, you go back to the size of your fist as a serving. And then here are some resources um, that talk about um, how food affects different diseases and um, what we can do. And some of them even have recipes in there. I think prevent and reverse heart disease by assisting like half the book is recipes. So that's good. And then there's a book that just came out, which is relevant called How to Survive a Pandemic. And it's written by Dr. Michael Greger, who has been studying and predicting that we're gonna have a pandemic since in 2016, he's been saying it, the, the way we're eating, we're heading towards a pandemic, an infectious disease pandemic. And then documentaries that I really like that can also explain a lot of what we talked about, about nutrition. So I often get asked, you know, why can't I just take a probiotic? Why can't I just take a vitamin or some type of supplement like that in order to help improve the gut health and give me the nutrients that I need? Well, the problem with probiotics and any supplement is what we call the supplement paradigm. If you're taking antibiotics, I definitely do recommend people to take probiotics, but I also recommend people to increase their to intake of what's called prebiotics, which we explain is fiber-rich foods. Um, because even your highest quality of probiotics will only have about four to five different strains of bacteria, where when we talked about before, we have thousands of different strains in our body. Every time we take one dose of antibiotic, we kill off all of our bacteria. And I've seen that it can take anywhere from six months to a year to replace that bacteria. So if you're on a 10 day course of antibiotics, that's 10 pills that you take six months each time. It can be a few years before your bacteria come back. Um, and yogurt is often thought of having um, probiotics. Well, usually yogurt, the bacteria that's used to ferment yogurt is not derived from human strains. So it's not the kind that our body has anyway, and it's not enough. It doesn't have enough different types of bacteria. So it's the same thing that we look at with, um, supplements, you know, an apple has like 10,000 different phytonutrients, but when you look at um, a label for a vitamin supplement, like you can see how there's such a big difference here that this is what's in your vitamin pill and then what's in the apple. And this is like one out of 10 pages or something like that. So there's so many different nutrients and phytonutrients in an apple. What's the same thing with our um, bacteria that just a single probiotic is not gonna have enough uh, strains. Um, and then the other problem with multivitamins and other supplements is that it's highly processed, it's synthetic, it's isolated. Our bacteria doesn't recognize it. So it recognizes, it considers it to be a foreign object and it mounts the attack again against the foreign object. It doesn't have any fiber. So it's not really gonna do the same effect as fresh vegetables and fruits, which has this, the vitamins and supplements and nutrients, but it also has the fiber. And then there was a study that was published in about 2012 that showed that there was an increased um, rate of death in women that were taking vitamin and mineral supplements. They didn't know if there was a cause or if it was just some sort of correlation, but either way, people that were taking multivitamins, vitamin B6, folic acid, magnesium, zinc, iron, copper, were they had higher death rates. So maybe they were more sick and they were taking the vitamins as a result, but it didn't help. So in any case, it's not really the best thing. And that I kind of was thinking about that a lot when you know people were highly recommending zinc and um, vitamin D and iron and so a few things as far as like trying to prevent COVID with taking vitamin supplements, where I was like, well, you can do that, but let's why not just get the vitamins straight from the source, which is fruits and vegetables. So, um, most of the studies that they've done, they've done so many studies on vitamin um, supplements and over and over, they keep coming to the same conclusion that 
vitamins can actually may cause harm that we are just now starting to see and a better investment in our health would be to eat more fruits and vegetables. <clears throat> so um, the other things that we can do to boost our immune system, and I'm gonna go through this really quickly because I think this is a little bit longer than I was expecting. Exercise, um, we wanna make sure we're getting as much exercise as we can. The recommendation is about 150 minutes a week. And that includes you know, cardio, meaning walking, running, jog jogging, biking, dancing, um, strength and re resistance exercises, flexibility exercises. You wanna get like 150 minutes over a week, which can be anywhere from like 20 to 30 minutes a day, depending on if you wanna do five days a week or seven days a week. And it's just shown to overall help our health and boost our immune system. Yoga is also another great one to help boost our immune system. It, it kind of combines in the flexibility as well as strength training. And then we want to make sure we're getting enough sleep. Um, six to eight hours is what we want, because again, that's going to help boost our immune system. Um, spending time in spirituality, whatever that means for you, it could be prayer, it could be music, it could find your creativity, um, it could be connecting with people. And then drinking lots of water is super important for boosting our immune system as well as our overall health. And then we want to make sure we're uh, minimizing other contributors of health. And I know it kind of seems like this is secondary because we talked about how smoking tobacco is one of the big three things that we can do that destroys our health and creates um, increases disease. But these things we wanna make sure we're focusing on too. And stress is a big thing, financial stress, especially these last couple of years, so many people have had financial stress where um, either they got laid off from their jobs or they were starting to work from home and they found this more time with the family and now they want more work-life balance and they're being called back to work or, you know, so we've had this great resignation of people leaving their jobs because they realized that they were unhappy at those jobs. And when they weren't working, they actually were happier. So that's important, how we feel and how happy we are and fulfilled in our jobs is huge. And then having that sense of community, you know, we were meeting pretty much once a month before the pandemic. Um, and we've been doing, Stephanie and I have been doing that since we've met. So it's been going on like 12, 13 years. We were meeting once a month, doing some sort of um, community event of promoting healthy eating and interactions. It also creates this similar purpose. We're in it together. We belong, you know, we have the sense of belonging um, and it can really have a positive impact on our health and immune system. Just more pictures of things we used to do. Which I was feeling nostalgic, I guess. <laughs> so um, I love this joke and I kind of tailored it to me. It says that Dr. Chazamala is a quack. She has been treating me for obesity for many months and I'm only getting fatter. And then it says, I guess she is. She's been treating my cough too. And if anything, it's getting worse. And then you zoom out and you see what's really going on. <laughs> um, and so we know, we just talked about what the things that we want to do to live healthy. So how do we actually implement them into our lives? We want to create healthy habits and choices that you can sustain for the rest of your life. So it's not about a fad diet. It's not about, you know, the latest thing. Um, it's about creating habits that you're going to sustain. Like if, if you talk about, um, okay, I'm going to go on this like no sugar diet. And then I start to think about, can I sustain that for, you know, the rest of my life, whatever, however long that is. And I'm like, no, that's so hard. And then all of a sudden I don't even do the no sugar diet for like one day because I feel overwhelmed by that. So when we are talking about habits, I pull this from the atomic habits we want to make our good habits obvious, attractive, easy, and satisfying, and make our bad habits invisible, unattractive, difficult, and unsatisfying. For instance, if you wanna eat more fruits and vegetables, if you grab, first of all, fruits that you like, um, make up like a platter for yourself every day and put them somewhere where you'll see them so that you can eat them. That's gonna create that good habit of eating fresh, fresh, fresh fruits every day. Whereas if you took, you know, the bag of chips and hid them or didn't even buy them in the first place. So there it's more difficult to get. Um, then you're creating, you're breaking that bad habit of, of munching on chips and instead maybe trying to eat a celery or an apple. 
And then when you are making changes, you want to try to make small changes within a short time frame. Focus on one change at a time, and then go for small strides on that. I always like to look at the SMART goals, right? So if you're going to say, I want to increase my vegetable intake for the month of January, well, that's not specific enough. So I can say, I want to eat one more serving of veggies with each meal. And I can look and say, okay, I'm eating two servings already. Maybe I up that to three servings or, um, you know, there's different goals that you can make. Like you can make a lot of times breakfast tends to be a little sweeter and maybe going, okay, well, I'm going to have a vegetable at breakfast where I normally don't. Or, you know, sometimes people say, okay, every time I go to the grocery store, I'm going to buy one new vegetable that I hadn't tried before and make it and see how I like it. So there's these small little goals that we can create. And once we achieve them and it becomes part of our routine, then we can move on to the next goal. And we can reward ourselves for each goal, right? Like, okay, once I complete, you know, one more serving of vegetables every single day, every meal, I will treat myself to a brand new dress or, um, you know, a journal or a trip or something like that. You know, you can, you can figure out what would motivate you to achieve that goal. Um, and then try not to change too many things at one time, you know, think new year's resolutions. I don't know how many of you guys, how many of you have made new year's resolutions this year? Um, and it's now at January 19th. How many are still following your new year's resolutions? Usually they fall away by January 2nd or 3rd. So I kind of stopped making resolutions because there's no like magic day, like from December 31st to January 1st, I'm going to all of a sudden create all good habits at one time and trying to do so. It's just like, oh, I can never do it. I can't eat healthy because I try every January 1st and it doesn't happen. Um, it's more about the small steps and setting and not setting yourself up for failure, but setting yourself up for um, success. You can also do what's create, called creating a hero journal or heroin journal um, where you are writing out all of your achievements of the day, whether they're big or small. You could write out, you know, I had an apple for breakfast. I got up early a little bit and meditated. I, you know, just kind of like the the small things that happen throughout your day. And then when you're feeling like you haven't accomplished anything, you can look through your journal and it can give you some motivation and inspiration. And then forgive yourself. We all make mistakes. I have been on this uh, whole food plant-based journey for a, such a long time. Um, I, I still slip up, right? Every once in a while, I might indulge in a vegan ice cream that's gonna be processed and high in sugar. And I know it's not good for me. Um, but it happens. So, you know, every day is a new day. Every hour is a new hour. Just because I messed up for breakfast doesn't mean I can't pick back up with a healthy lunch. Right? Sometimes we have this idea of, man, this day's already shot. I'm just going to go ahead and eat whatever all day long. It's not necessarily true. We can always make that choice of eating healthy at any given time. Because it's not about being perfect. It's about um, progress. We want to this is a call to action. This is not a call for perfection. We want to have more trends of eating healthy and have healthier foods in our meal plans rather than thinking of being on a diet. Um, so it's really about that shift in that mindset that we're doing this to create healthier us, right? A healthier habit, whatever we want from our health, the benefits, that's what we're trying to create here. Although we do have a, what we call the Shred 10 program. So we talked about doing small steps. We do have this thing where we can do something really difficult for a short period of time. So if you said, okay, on January 1st, New Year's, res it's not so much a resolution, but I'm gonna for 10 days do like an all in, create the good habit um, plan. It works better in our mind because it's for a short time. It's only for 10 days. We can do it. You know, we'll feel really good at the end of it. Whereas if we think, oh, this is how it's going to be for the whole year, we may not do it. So what I like about this um, program that we do um, is that it emphasizes whole food plant-based. It has community as part of it. It takes it into account the habit theory, and then there's accountability. Um, and then that brings us to Juice Plus. One of the things that I um, was attracted to Juice Plus about was the fact that I had this experience of 
what it was like to eat healthy and have good health and, you know, not be sick. And when I started my own practice, which Stephanie had talked about, she had just started her practice. I had just started my practice. I was doing everything front office, back office, billing, seeing patients. I had staff, but sometimes, you know, you, it's not enough or you, you're still, you're, it's my business. So I was like, first in last out. And if I made it to the grocery store, you know, which was rare, um, I would promptly throw away the fruits and vegetables that I bought two weeks later because they would spoil. I just didn't have the time or energy to eat vegetables. Vegetables take a lot of time to like prep and to eat. Um, and chips and salsa are vegan. Oreos are vegan. They're not necessarily healthy for you, but they are vegan. So I was like, you know, struggling to eat healthy. And when Stephanie talked to me about Juice Plus, you know, I was like, well, we don't need, we need to eat our nutrition. We don't get them from supplements. But I realized I wasn't eating my nutrition. And I felt like such a hypocrite in that moment because I realized that I was telling all my patients to eat more fruits and vegetables and I wasn't doing it myself. And, you know, I was giving myself the excuse that I'm busy, but everybody's busy. We're all overwhelmed with all the things that we need to do throughout the day to take care of our family, to go to work, you know, whatever it is that our obligations are, we're all busy. And it's hard to find that time to really prep our food and, and eat healthy, much less exercise and meditate and, you know, get the amount of sleep you need to get. I remember at that time, I was tired all the time. Like if you asked me to do something with you, I may have said yes, but by the time I got home, I was going to flake out on you. Like there's a 99% chance we weren't going to do anything because I was going to flake out. I was too tired. I slept my weekends away. Um, and then because of all of that, and I had looked at, and I'm going to discuss in a little bit, the research, I looked at the research and I was like, wow, this has more studies on it than most of the, the medicines I prescribed to my patients. Um, and it looks like it's just fruits and vegetables. So then I started to take it. And like six months later, I was actually um, hanging out with friends again. I had a social life again. I lived like probably less than five miles away from my temple for worship. And I started going back there and they thought I had just moved back into town. I was like, no, I've been here for like three years. <laughs> just really tired to not come to the temple. Um, so you know, it kind of gave me my life back. And then I noticed also that I was no longer throwing away my fruits and vegetables. I was actually eating them. So I was like, wow, that's amazing. So what is Juice Plus? It's basically fruits and vegetables in a um, capsule. And then we also have the Omega blend. Um, it provides the variety we may not get. It's a complement to a healthy diet. It doesn't replace fruits and vegetables, but it helps bridge that gap. I, you know, I talk to so many patients and I try to get them to eat more fruits and vegetables. And we have this idea that if we can't do it ourselves, we're failures. Like if I can't just force myself to eat more fruits and vegetables, we're failures. But then how much time goes by? Like I have a friend who has that kind of attitude. And every time I talk to her about it, she's like, no, no, I just need to eat better. And I'm like, it's now two years later. And had you started Juice Plus two years prior, you would have had that improvement in your eating pattern as well as your health for those two years. Like it just accelerates the um, changes in those habits. It kind of takes away, like when I, one of the things that I noticed is that I actually started craving apples instead of the mid-afternoon Oreos that I was eating. Um, this is what really got me interested in Juice Plus is that it, there's peer-reviewed and independent clinical research, double-blind placebo-controlled in journals that I recognize. Um, there's over 40 of them. So I'm going to talk about four of them that were published. They're peer-reviewed and they're specifically on how Juice Plus affects the immune system. They were done at four different research facilities on four types of subjects, healthcare professionals, athletic men, young law school students, and elderly. And what they found was that it supported better immune system and healthcare professionals. It supported several indicators of immune function in physically fit men. It increased on antioxidant activity and strengthened immune function in healthy but stressed law students. 
and it improved the markers of immune function and improved um, blood levels of antioxidants in elderly. So we can see that um, there are so many different results or um, yeah results that we've seen from the research for, on Juice Plus. And every single one of them just shows that it acts just like fruits and vegetables in our body because it does the same thing that we know fruits and vegetables do in our body. Um, so there's also, there's the capsules, the fruit vegetables, and then there's the, and the berries as well as the omegas. And then we have the Juice Plus Complete, which is like the best smoothie protein drink that you can find. It, it's so tasty and it's made up of good stuff. Um, and then we just released this Juice Plus Perform, which is actually pretty tasty as well. And it's really great for um, muscle recovery. So it's a great after exercise drink. Um, it also supports bone health. So it's good for people that are concerned with osteoporosis. Um, it's good for mental performance. I, I do find that, because um, I've been drinking it for four months now, I do find that I don't get a sore and I have a lot more um, strength. Like when I'm doing my strength training exercises, I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. And I've been doing them for like over a couple of years now. So I'm noticing like it's made a, an, an impact in my performance there. And it's also made up of good stuff. So it does have a lot of natural occurring B vitamins that they just throw in the guava, mango, lemon. They don't like try to just take out the B vitamins. It's high in protein. It also has um, cherry, mushroom powder, beetroot, and it's only got sugar from the natural, like the fruits that they add in there. And then we also have a tower garden because we are really stressing the fact that we wanna eat more fruits and vegetables. Why not just grow our own vegetables on our backyard? So that's what the tower garden is. So we just talked about a lot of stuff. So what now? Well, if you do nothing, nothing will change. Life will continue as you were. Like I explained about a friend of mine that keeps saying she wants to eat healthier. She wants to eat healthier. And two years later, there's no changes. And um, we can decide we want to make one or two changes um, and then start to improve, you know, some of the things that we talked about, eating lots of fresh vegetables and fruits drinking plenty of water, exercising, sleeping, reducing stress. We can add Juice Plus to our um, routine and our habits. You can join our community where we share great recipes, tips, um, other resources on how to have more plants in our food. Like we have a, month, a weekly meal prep um, party that we do. So that's usually a lot of fun where you can buy your ingredients, we give it to you beforehand, we tell you what to buy beforehand. And then you can cook alongside, you know, the chefs of the week as we rotate throughout our huge, larger community. And then you can decide, you know, I have so many people that I wish that they would eat healthier or go on this journey with me and you can help us spread this message of health and join us alongside us. So questions, I'm gonna stop my share. I was hoping to be finished at least 10 minutes earlier for more questions. Talk about, um, there was one question on um, whole grains. So the question that she's referring to is about lectins that are found in beans and in whole grains. And there's this thought that lectins are bad for us or they can be dangerous or bad for our health. And what we found is that you know, the highest amount of lectins are found in beans, basically, which I said is one of the healthiest foods that you can eat. I'm just going to share a really quick joke. When I was taking my um, lifestyle medicine boards exam, my joke was that if beans was an answer, it didn't matter what the question was, beans was going to be the answer, like of the multiple choice or kale. So if they gave me the option of choosing beans or kale, I was gonna choose that as the answer. And I think I was pretty much right, like 99% of the time because I passed it. So um, I would say beans are super healthy for us. Now, beans do have lectins and lectins can cause things like violent vomiting and diarrhea and you know inflammation. However, that only happens if you eat raw beans 
And I don't know anyone that's able to eat raw beans because they're hard like rocks. So if you soak your beans and you boil them for at least 10 minutes. Now, if you've ever made like beans from dried beans, you know you need more than 10 minutes for them to be cooked. So if by the time you get it to the where you wanna eat it, where it's that soft mushy type um, consistency, you've cooked out most of the lectins and now you're left with all of the good stuff. The, the, bean, the, um, the fiber, the nutrients, all of you know, the protein and all the good stuff of the beans. And that's the same thing with whole grains. Like by the time you're eating it, by the time it's been processed enough for you to eat it, you've kind of diluted out and cooked away all of the lectins that are in there. Wheat is a little bit different. Wheat has a specific type of lectin called agglutins. I think I'm saying that right, agglutinins, um, which has been shown to be problematic even when it's cooked. And so usually in our Shred 10 program, we do ask one of the, the commitments that you make is no wheat or no gluten. And people do notice that even though if they don't have a gluten intolerance or even a gluten sensitivity that they improved in how they feel because there can be that negative repercussion. Now I look looking into wheat and gluten specifically and I'm seeing more like with just wheat that it's so highly processed that has been modified to have more gluten in it because gluten is that stuff that makes bread real soft, you know, like how you like you pull apart the bread or you pull apart that croissant, that softness is what comes, it comes from gluten. It gives it that texture. So wheat has been specifically modified to have extra gluten, but if you compare it to wheat from a hundred years ago, it didn't have as much gluten in it. Second, I think there's something in the way that they process it and separate out from the germ that creates problems as well. I think the chemicals that they use, so whether it's organic or not organic, they're still using the same type of chemical process to, to separate out. And I think a lot of people are sensitive to those chemicals as well. So I think wheat's a little bit different because I have noticed that people that say that they're gluten sensitive don't have necessarily an issue with things like barley or spelt, which has gluten, even though they're not wheat grains, right? So they're different. And then you also have your wheat-free grain, your gluten-free grains like corn and oats and quinoa and amaranth and millet and <laughs> there's so many um and so you know if you still like there are people that are truly sensitive to gluten they still have a wide variety of grains that they can eat so grains and beans are really healthy for you unless you specifically are noticing a certain effect that happens to you when you eat um grains or beans like especially like some people if you haven't been used to eating beans when you eat beans you're gonna pass gas, that's just part of what happens. But the more you do it, the less it happens because your bacteria is now adjusting to the beans. So it's able to digest them in such a way it's not creating as much air. Um, so actually it's, it's a good sign when you pass gas after eating beans, although it's not pleasant for those around you, but it's actually showing that your digestion is working. So I hope that answers that question. Yeah, and I think too, um, one of the, there, there's a couple of studies that I thought were like interesting, like that Colin T. Campbell has done where, um, I mean, his first, one of his first research papers that he was look, looking into, or like one of his first projects he was going to was he had to go to India. Was it India? Where was it that? Um, Philippines. The Philippines. Yeah. And he was there because all these people were getting sick with like this liver cancer and they couldn't, um, he, he thought he was going to be going over there to really help the poor because that's what he thought was happening, but it wasn't what was happening was it was the rich that were getting all this, this liver cancer. And, um, they basically had doused that like, like their, their food with these chemicals and the poor basically had to eat off the land. And so they were eating all the plants and those kind of things where the people that had more money were eating more animal foods, those kind of things. So what was happening is when they ate more plants, they were able to process the chemicals and, and get rid of it. 
And they didn't have the problems where when they were eating more of the animal foods, they couldn't process the chemicals and they, it was, it was creating liver cancer. So it's, it's interesting how even like people get so afraid of, of chemicals and all these things that, that are happening. Like our body can process a lot of this stuff out of our system. Um, when we can eat more of a plant-based diet. Now we also have people that, um, we've seen, and I usually can tell when there's autoimmune type stuff going on. It's like when you have people that are, that come into our office and, you know, from a injury perspective, when I'm looking at stuff, it's very mechanical. Like it's very, like there's patterns to everything. So you can, you can see when something is, if someone's hurting or something's weird, that's going on in their body, you can kind of tell because it's very mechanical and it has patterns to it. When I see people that have autoimmune, there's no patterns. It's, there's no rhyme or reason in it. And it can be really weird. And a lot of times I can start asking people questions like, um, they, that they can't even eat healthy foods. Like their gut is so, such a mess that even eating kale or quinoa or things um, that are hearty, they can't do it. Their, their body like completely rejects them. And that's when you really have to go and find um, a naturopath or a functional medicine doctor to help get your body back into balance. Because even with you just eating the foods, it's not going to work. I, I've seen people time and time again that, that can't do it. But a lot of times you can. And what I'm seeing with um, whether it's, the virus that's creating stuff that that's going on right now, or even we've had people even that have had reactions to the, the vaccinations on both sides. I'm seeing like autoimmune type responses that are happening with these people. And if we can do things that we can kind of help protect ourselves and improve and keep our immune system and our gut health more in check, where it's not so out of balance, we're able to fight off a lot of these things that are happening. It's true. And, you know, I often get asked the question, like, or people will be like, oh, fruits and vegetables are not the answer to everything. And I'm like, no, yes, they literally are the answer to every health condition. Like there's not a single health condition. It's not going to help. And there's not a single health condition that it won't make better. Um, even when we're talking about infections, right? So when, we, I mean, COVID is on everyone's mind, right? So, you know, I'm all about taking care of the external defenses and which I, what I consider to be external defenses or, you know, the masking, the washing the hands, the distancing, um, you know, things like that. That's the external defense. But we also have to have a plan of internal defense because it's going to penetrate the external defense. What, what are you going to have? What, what are you going to do once it does that? Right. You can't just be like, well, it, everybody's going to get it. We're all going to get sick because we're finding the people that are healthier are have a you know milder course or they get over it quicker um so even you know people that are vaccinated they're getting it because they're teaching their immune system on some superficial level to react to the virus then they're having a milder case and it's not as long either but you know i always say both things can be true you can you can eat healthy and you can do all the other things as well um, some of the things that I laughed about during this whole pandemic thing is like the whole, again, trying to find antibiotics for treating a virus. Um, you know, even like the latest, like the ivermectin, it's a paras anti-parasitic, but it's still going to destroy your good bacteria. So again, you're destroying your immune system. So there's not really a correlation there, even for the flu virus, which we've had for years and years, we've, that's been around. There's not really good treatment for that. Yes, you can take something like Tamiflu. However, Tamiflu has only been shown to improve the course of the flu by 12 hours. So you will get better 12 hours faster than someone who didn't take Tamiflu. You know, so again, it's all about building up that internal immune system. I, um, since I gave up dairy, I've not even had colds. I've not had, um, you know, allergies or anything like that. Although once a few years ago, I did get the flu. And I think it had like, one of the things that I did that had ruined my immune system at that moment was that I had just seriously binged on a lot of bread. It was right around Christmas. And sometimes bread can be my Achilles heel. Um, and I hadn't been sleeping very well. And so two things that I had done to kind of ruin my immune system. I got the flu, I think, I've had of all the patients and all the people that I've seen, I've had the shortest course of flu that anyone's ever had. It was like 
24 hours of the fever and then I was back to normal. I was like, okay, I'm good. So even when we do get sick, if you're eating like this and you're taking care of all your health and all the different parts of it, it's not going to affect you as long or as much, you know? So my answer to everything is pretty much beans and fruits and vegetables. <laughs> and there's always a component of stress too. I mean, the times if I do happen to get something, my body was, I've just been running into the ground and, and your body will tell you to stop. That's usually like, I can tell, um, like if my staff has been, um, got sick, I can, t I can tell, I know exactly what's going on. Um, and why it happened um, a lot of, because they just have run themselves into the ground. And I was really good at that. And I've learned how to navigate that much, um, much better where I have to like, just like, gotta shut it down. Gotta shut it down. Otherwise um, I'm, I'm gonna, my body will tell me to shut it down. <laughs> exactly. Well, we've gotten over a little bit over an hour. Hello, my name is Victoria. I'm the Client Care Specialist. I hope you enjoyed the information in this podcast. If you're looking for more information to figure out how to fix your knee pain, click on the link below for our knee pain ebook. And if you'd like to talk to one of our specialists, click on the link below for a free discovery visit. If you live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area,